0: So, what I'm talking about today is life, okay? I want to talk to you about life, and as many of you know, who was here for the debate? Show of hands, raise them up high. Look, praise the Lord, well, a good many of you guys. How many of you stayed the whole time? No, I'm just kidding, I won't shame you that way. <laughs> Over four hours of fairly technical, just bang, 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 bang. And if you, if you were here, or if you watched it online, it was pretty intense in a few uh, moments, and... Um, I think as it should be right we're passionate about the truth of God's word right Um, it got a little intense but I believe it was it was fairly mild at least to some debates I've seen Uh, there was no name calling nothing like that so that was good there was no fist fights or punches thrown so that was always good Um, but there was a lot of detail in there and we tried to pack as much in. I think if there was one thing that I may change in the next debate I have, it'll be to slow down a little bit. More is not, more is not always better, right? Sometimes uh, less is more. So, uh, but what I wanted to do was to follow up with a little series, a mini-series, just kind of going over some of the details. Now, don't worry. Uh, perfect, thank you. Don't worry, I'm not going to be talking about hell today, okay? um i'm i'm about sick of talking to I'm, I'm sick of hell you know uh so we'll 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 probably touch on some of that coming up but today what i want to talk to you about is some of the underlying issues when we do uh, finally get to the doctrine of hell and when we start to talk about hell and uh what happens to unbelievers uh at, when they die what i want to talk, start talking to you about today though i want i want to talk to you about life okay I want to talk about life. And many of you may say, well, I, I know about life. Um, I, I know what that means. And I just wonder if you do actually know what that means, it, it, at least in a biblical way. Biblically, what, what is life and uh, what, what, how do we define it? And, you know, are there multiple aspects? Is, li- is, is the understanding of life, is it multifaceted? Um, what, what is it about this life uh, that, that we need to understand from Scripture? I'm not seeing the display here, so this may not work. Um, I thought it was set up, but it may not be. Give me two minutes just to see. (laughs) Yeah, Keith, you need to help me on this. (laughs) I think there's some display stuff that needs to be done back there because I'm not detecting any displays. Okay, they say no, it's not going to work. Okay, well, I can print this out for you later. It's not, it's not on back there or something because it's not detecting anything. It's number one. plugged in the last time the same settings okay all right well never mind well open your bibles with me hey i'll keep this plugged in y'all just keep playing with it it might pop up open your bibles with me to genesis chapter one what better place to start than the beginning all right we'll see see if we can make it through revelation 20 And I lost one of my Bibles somewhere, too. I'm just all over the place this morning. If you see a little journal Bible, it's about yay big. Uh, I misplaced it somewhere. So, Anyway, Genesis chapter 1. Now, when we start to talk about life and we start to talk about what life consists of, and really we have to start to ask ourselves about what constitutes a man, what constitutes a human being, okay, and how is that, life that a human being has or is it distinguishable from other things that have life plants have life insects have life animals have life what's the distinction if there is one between that type of life and the life of a human being and so as we ask these questions and as we try to figure out what life is I want to uh, give you a little bit of a preview of where we're going to be headed which I'm sure all of you have guessed by now is what is true life. And if you're going to distinguish true life from any other type of life, then you have to recognize that life, as it is, life proper, is multifaceted. There's different dimensions. There's different degrees. There's there's different understandings of what life is. So if I'm going to tell you I'm going to give you a better car, then it would stand to reason that, There's other cars that are in existence, right? And you probably have one, and the one I have that I'm going to give you is better. There's a difference. There's a distinction. And so turn with me to John 10.10, or I can just read it for you. The Bible says, Jesus says in John 10.10, The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You see that qualification there. Christ came that you might have life, but not just life in any way, but that you might have it abundantly. Now, to be fair, we could say at this point that what he means is he's just going to make the life that you have better. It's going to be an easier life, or it's going to be a more productive life. But there's really no core or foundational difference. There's no... Uh, there's no substance, there's no difference in substance of the life that you'll have. I'm just going to make it better, okay? Well, I'm going to challenge that idea, and what I'm going to suggest is that, no, when Jesus says that he's going to give you life, he is going to give you a whole another kind of life. Yes? Check my what? Okay. You seeing it back there? Oh, praise the Lord. Hey, I see it. Hallelujah. (laughs) Hey, yeah, it's displaying somewhere. Might be displaying to Seattle. You see it? That was such a (laughs) delayed reaction. I was looking at him the whole time. It's like 18 seconds later, bro. Yeah. Okay, so, uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's blank where it's supposed to be there, so something's going on. Okay, so anyway, back to what I was saying. Okay, so, I'm going to suggest, and I'm going to make the argument that the life that is offered in Christ is not just a better quality of life that you have presently as an unbeliever or as unbelievers have, but that it is altogether different. It is altogether different. The life that Christ offers is another type of life. It is, it, is a di- it is of a different substance, okay? Now, this has been challenged. I have never seen this challenged except for a naturalistic, atheistic viewpoint, uh, worldview. I've never seen that challenged before. Now, granted, uh, I guess you can find a, a Christian of all different flavors on uh, you know, the World Wide Web. But personally, I had never seen someone challenge the idea that unbelievers are dead right now in sin and believers are alive in Jesus Christ until I met our debate opponents. And he, he is a physicalist, Chris is, okay? So, But this, this sermon is not about Chris. I just want to make you aware, I've never seen anybody take the position that we're just matter in motion that is being made animate by by God, so he's not a complete naturalist, but that once we stop breathing here, that's it. Okay. Usually this flows out of a naturalistic, materialistic, atheistic worldview because in the atheistic worldview, matter is all that exists. If you can't see it, feel it, touch it, if you can't experience it with the five senses, if you can't empirically evidence it, then it doesn't exist, okay? Which is a problem in and of itself. It's, it's very problematic. So what I want to challenge is the idea that I'm not even going to challenge the idea that there's more to the, the physical universe. There's more to the universe than the physical, okay? I think everyone in the room would accept that, okay? I'm not debating an atheist today. What I want to talk to you about is I want to talk to you about what is that otherness, And how does it relate to us? How does it impact the life that we have? How does it impact the way we think about that life and the way that we can interact with the people around us, the way we can interact with our God, the way that we can interact with ourselves? You say, with yourself. Yes, with ourselves. You see, I am under the understanding that the Bible teaches that when you're dead in your trespasses and sins, you're enslaved to those sins, and it is impossible for you to overcome those sins because you're, you don't have life, you don't have being, you don't have the capability to overcome sin apart from the, the, the regenerative work of Christ, being made alive so that you can go to war with sin through life in Christ, right? And so there's slaves to righteousness, there's slaves to sins, there's dead in sin, and there's a life in Christ, right? Okay, so John 10, 10, is kind of where we're going, okay? It is this idea that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came, he says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Is that just, is that just you know, a, a better quality of life, or is that actually... Uh, a substance it is, is it a moody thing that uh life is something different well let's ask the question what is life okay and this is where I was hoping that we could get it up there because I want you to be able to, do, to see this and I'll tell you what I'll print it out if we can't get it up there okay just pay attention then okay what is life okay well a materialist understanding of human life is this The naturalistic, materialist understanding of life is this. The physical animation of an entity is caused from a properly functioning body. It's just physical. This arises from a heart that is beating and a mind that is cognizant and aware of the reality of which it is a part. This view is primarily held by atheists, but we have known some Christians to adopt this this view as well. The physical, material is the sum total of the life, okay? This is a materialistic, physicalistic definition of life. It is the fact that your heart is beating and your mind is aware you're alive. And everybody that has that characteristic about them, has those uh, properties about them, can said to be alive, okay? Unbeliever, believer, believer. They might make an argument, but I don't understand. You know, dog, cat. Certainly, the atheist would say that the dog, the cat, the roach, the tree, the grass—all they're all alive, right? And life is just life. It's animation. It's it's functioning. But a biblical definition, uh, I understand, to be this: a biblical understanding of human life. The biblical understanding of life is this: the spirit of life that is given to an individual from God causes that individual to be a living soul. We're going to go to the text of Genesis in just a second. Genesis chapter 1 to unfold some of these things. Genesis chapter 2. An individual must have... Now, here's going to be some big words. Stretch your brain a little bit. Don't get upset with me, okay? Write them down. Go look them up later. Let's talk about it. An individual must have ontological connection and relational connection to God in order to have true life now what do I mean by that big words ontological connection is is that you're connected to the Creator in such a way that you're still here and you're 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 still aware you're still conscious you're still active in the physical body okay you're still a human being but now that's only part of life in order to have true life you must also you must have more than just an ontological connection or a created cre- a created creature connection. You must also have a relational connection, and that is that the spirit is still alive. You still have uh, intimacy with God. You are alive in your soul. You are alive in your spirit that you are aware of the reality that God is God and that Christ is King. That you are, you are in relationship with God. This must necessarily be a reality if an individual wants to have true life. Now, by implication, it would stand to reason that you can have some type of life but not have true life. And that is that you have an ontological connection to God, you're still breathing, you're still here, you haven't vanished into thin air, God is still maintaining your existence here, but that you're relationally disconnected with God and therefore you're spiritually dead, you're separated from Him, you're enslaved to your own passions and desires, you have no purpose, you have no hope, okay, we're going to establish this through the Scripture. The body can be alive while the soul of the spirit is dead, which comes from uh, a relational separation from God. This results in a type of life, physical animation, while also being dead, spiritual deadness. The relational connection with God was severed in Adam's fall, causing spiritual death to all mankind. The only way to be truly alive is to be regenerated according to the will of the Father by the power of the Spirit through the work of Christ. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Okay, now those, that's a little bit of, uh, and the rain begins. May the Spirit rain on us as well. That's a little bit of defining this type of life and the distinctions of what a physicalist or an atheist, materialist would say that life is. And what we understand, at least what I understand the Bible to teach, what we understand of what life is. Life is not just physical breathing, but it is intimate connection and relationship with God, our creator. That is the only way that we'll live life, okay? Okay, so... First point is, we are made in the image of God in our purpose and our position. In your Bibles, turn with me, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Let's stand to our feet as we read this here. Out of respect to God's word. Verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. So we see here that God created man in his own likeness and in his own image now obviously we have to ask a couple of questions about what does it mean to be created in the image of God well just let's draw a couple of distinctions from this text at least if we look here in the text it says that God says let us make man in our image after our likeness well it's it can be true this is true the animals and other living things have life but they are not made in the image of God amen Man is solely made or created and said to be in the image of God and in His likeness. Well, that doesn't tell us a ton. It tells us a little bit. I think we can see some things through these texts right here. But it tells us a few things. One, that human beings are different than every other life form on the planet. Okay? Every other life form that's ever been created is different than humanity. Two, human beings are said to have dominion over other living creatures. There's something distinct about mankind, not just the fact that he's made in the image of God, but that he has dominion over the rest of creation. It says, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock, over every creeping thing. Mankind has dominion over uh, the creation. He has authority over it. He has sovereignty over the creation, and he's supposed to be—he's uh, supposed to be like somebody. Who's he supposed to be like? God. He's made in the image of God. He's made in the likeness of God. He's supposed to be like God, okay? So let's draw from this text here a little bit, and I'm gonna read down just a little bit more, and we're gonna pull out a few things that it may mean that we're made in the image of God. And listen to me, folks. This is how you are supposed to conduct yourselves if you hadn't realized that already. If you are in tune with the Creator and you have ontological connection, you're a human being, you still exist, you're still a created being, He's holding you together, and you also have relational connection. Now, we're going to talk about how to get relational connection with God here uh, in a little bit, but if you consider yourself a Christian and you have relational connection with God, then this is to be, we 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 are in a garden state once again, that we have been made new we have been made into what Adam was supposed to be. Amen? We've been given life and the type of life that Adam had in the very beginning, in our souls, in our beings, right? And one day when we're resurrected to life, we'll be given a new body, a perfect body like Adam had before he was kicked out of the garden. Well, here are a couple of attributes that should be or properties that should be Part of the human being that is in relationship to God. The image of God carries several properties with it in this context. Let me read and then we'll kind of unpack it. Verse 28. And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Some of you have taken the multiplication very seriously. All right. And you love to multiply. Okay, I get it. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. Uh, and the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed it is, uh, uh, it, that is on the face of the earth, and every tree, and it goes on from there. What are a few things that we learn about being made in the image of God? And that is is that there's, here's just this list right here, and I don't have time, uh, nor is it my purpose to unpack all this, but some things we see is that what do, properties of, of being made in the image of God, are some of them are these, fruitfulness expansion that's that multiplication fulfillment conquest and dominion just a few things that those who are made in the image of God are to be about you're to be fruitful right you're to expand you're to multiply and fill the earth and I I would even distinguish that multiply and to fill the earth I would say that you are a, a fulfillment to the earth when the Bible says here it says Uh, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it that there is an aspect about our being that we are to be managers of God's creation that we are to expand, that we're be to be fruitful, we are to expand our scope of governance, right? That we are to fulfill, meaning that we're to bring order, that we are to bring order to chaos, that we are to subdue it, and that we are to bring it in right relationship with God. I believe that's why I believe that we are to be good stewards of planet earth. We are to be good stewards of our call to evangelism, to preach the the message of the cross to those that are far off from God. We are to be fruitful, I think Galatians five would apply here, but in this immediate context, I think he's in a garden. And what is he talking about? He's just talking about uh working and being fruitful and, and taking care of everything that he's been given. And he's been given charge over it. He has sovereignty over it. These are just a few things. Uh, but I, I will say that this could possibly still only distinguish us positionally from the other creatures. Right and not in being. I think that we have seen a slight distinction be- between us and the creatures, In it says that we're made in the image of God, but does it really distinguish the type of existence or life that we have from the other creatures explicitly in this text? No, I don't think so, but we have more revelation. We have progressive revelation, but I think what we can see here is that there's a positional distinction between us and the rest of creation, if nothing else, correct? So we are positioned in authority over the rest of creation and not in a harsh use it for you selfish way but in a way that we are to be fruitful and multiply and engage creation take care of creation order creation so we're made in the image of God that's part of life we are made in the image of God not only in position and purpose but also in our being now obviously we've already talked about being made in the image of God Uh, Genesis 2 7 Genesis 2 is a secondary account of creation. It's not a new creation, but it gives us insights to what God was doing in creation, and it gives it goes a little bit further into what it means to be created in the imago Dei, or the image of God. Look at verse seven of chapter two. It says this. It says, "Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature, or a living being, or a living soul." Okay, different translations translate it differently. This is this is something that's never happened to any of the other creation. First of all, all the beasts and the the. The birds, we, we never see him actively forming them. He seems to speak them from nothing. Here we see that, that man definitely has a beginning point and that he was formed from the dust of the earth in the physical realm. It seems to be showing us something here, giving us insight. I don't want to read too much into it. But Adam is formed from the physical elements here on earth. And then something else happens. It says that God, and this, I think, is a, is almost like a poetic scene here. I think it is historical narrative, but I believe there's meaning behind this. That God forms this man from the physical elements of the earth, and then he breathes into his nostrils. And and, and it's not just that the life came in and animated him, but that he had already formed his body. The physical was there. He breathes life into his nostrils, and then the text goes even further to say, and at that point, this man who is up, created, standing, who has nostrils, became something even greater. Something even more magnificent. He became a living soul. He, he developed being. Okay? I believe this is the installation, as it were. It is the uh, creation, uh, as it is, of the person, the human being that distinguishes this, this life form from every other life form, life form in the creation narrative on planet Earth. Nowhere do you see God grab a little cockroach and blow in its nose. <laughs> nowhere do you see that. But God took the time with his own hands, anthropologically speaking, God doesn't have hands, right? Jesus does. But he, sw- he, he gathered him together and he formed the man and he breathed life into his nose, into his nostrils, and he became, at that point, became something else, a living soul. And so we see this idea of soul. Some dismiss that idea as just, well, it's just the breath of life that, you know, God had animating him. But I, it seems to me, and I'm, we're going to go even further, that there's more to it than that. That God, as he was putting him together, uh, did more than just make his heart beat, but that he, he made him into a person. Personality, emotions, thoughts temptations desires whatever it consists of to be a human being became in that moment when god gave him life no animal or crea- uh, creature is ever said to be constituted of this type of being or soul uh, number two this is consistent with what we know about christ and his humanity in the debate if you watch that we made a fairly big deal about whose image are you made in now you know from the text obviously we're made in god's image but Does the text of Scripture, especially in the New Testament, give us more revelation on whose image in particular when we're talking about God that we're made in? That we're made in the image of Christ, the quintessential man, the only perfect human being. You see, if we're made into human beings and those human beings are to be in God's image, then whose image are we being made into except the one human being who perfectly represented what it meant to be a human being in connection with God? Jesus Christ is the person in the Trinity who we are fabricated after. He is the image that we bear. And let me tell you kind of where we're going. Those who are justified in Christ Reconnected with the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit, conformed to the image of the Son, will be conformed to Jesus Christ and fulfill what Adam was supposed to fulfill through the second Adam who did fulfill exactly what adam was to fulfill and that would be another great series really to walk through and, and show how jesus is the second adam jesus is the true fulfillment of every shadow in the old testament everything that adam was to do and failed to do jesus did it okay and so as we are recreated in god's image as we are and i don't want to say recreated as we are regenerated okay to be in Christ to be in God that relational connection is reestablished then we're conformed to the image of the son and we be, we begin to be what the text says that we are to be well okay well what about Christ then you know we're made in the image of Christ what about Christ well we understand that his human his, his humanity had a beginning our humanity has a beginning right Matthew 118 to 25 talks about his birth okay next week is Easter we're going to celebrate his death burial and his resurrection in order to make it possible for us to get back to God and in order for us to be uh uh saved and to to be made alive as Colossians 2 13 says that Christ does that we also understand that his humanity had a soul many of you may have never thought about this before if it's true that Jesus Christ is fully human, okay, uh, Hebrews 2.17 says that in, he was made like us in every respect. Why? So see, some might say, well, we're made like Christ, not, or Christ is made like us, not us like Christ. Well, no, actually, we're made in the image of Christ, who is eternal and incarnate, and he came down and became part of this time-space continuum, right? But that he, when it says he was made in every respect like we are, is that when he took on flesh, his humanity was exactly like our humanity. And that was on purpose. It had to be that way. Because if Jesus Christ didn't perfectly represent the humanity that was made in his image, then he he could not provide the salvation and the sacrifice needed to atone for that humanity's sin against the Father, against God. Does that make sense? Okay, so we understand that Jesus Christ and it was made like us in every respect. Yet he had no sin. That was the only distinction between uh, Jesus and us: is that we're sinful and he's sinless. Only distinction. Okay, in his humanity. Well, as we unpack this, we start to understand that in his humanity, he had a soul. Jesus Christ was fully human. Okay, he is deity. Jesus is God, but in God in Jesus becoming a man. The, the divine, Jesus' full humanity, is joined with his, his full deity. And they become one. Okay? And the, that's called the hypostatic union. Write it down. Grow in your knowledge. This is the hypostatic, and hypostatic is just a word that means substance, substantival. It's this at the at the core of it. He's one. It's not that he's two things, he's one, okay? And that God became a man. And he will never undo this because everything rests on it. One, it's who he is. but Two, everything rests on it. Your salvation rests on the fact that God in Christ is fully God and fully man. It is the only way he could bridge the gap between sinful men and a righteous God. So Jesus Christ had a soul. You say, show me a text. Matthew 26, 38. Remember this? It was in the garden. And Jesus is so troubled. You know, and it's so, such an amazing thing. This is the only religion that's true. It's the only religion that gives you God who became like you and suffered like you and even to a greater degree in order to bring you into his embrace. And Jesus Christ, who is God and could have snapped his fingers and turned them all inside out, right? Heart on the outside, liver on the outside. He said, oh, how my soul is troubled. What does he say? My soul is very sorrowful even to death, and he did die. Remain here and watch with me. Now, we know they fell asleep. (laughs) Oh, like us, oh, sleepy Christians, awake, you sleepy Christians. You know, some feedback from this debate has not been all great, not that the others won or anything like that, but the the least um, encouraging conversations I have have not been, well, I'm an annihilationist now. I've not heard that. But that... That's just too big of words for me. Too much studying. Why does all that matter? I get it. I get it. Not everybody's a theologian. You know, not everybody's reading Ignatius and all. I get it. But if you don't even care, and beyond that, you just think it's useless, ignorance, to try to figure out the deeper things of God, I don't even know what to say about that. I don't know. Don't you want to know your Savior? Don't you want to know how He works? Don't you want to know what He wants? Don't you care about truth? I mean, well, those are just a couple of things. We could go on and on and on about how Jesus Christ defines what it's like. But I want to get further in this text. I need to move on. I've got to get to the end. This text Concretely, Now, I told you the first one could just be said, well, there's a positional distinction between human beings and living creatures. You know, this text concretely distinguishes the type of life that humans have with other living creatures. There's no living creatures that are said to have a soul. So even in that, we could stop right now and we could say that the life that human beings have is far more extensive, far greater, far bigger than the life that exists in the rest of creation. You see the distinction there? But let's go on. I want you to turn with me uh, in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. This is further evidence that we're made in the image of God in our being, in our personhood, okay? Genesis 2, 16 and 17. Say this. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of the tree, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you surely shall die. Now, our opponents the other night and, and many who would take this position would say, this doesn't mean that he's going to die that day. It just means in that vicinity, okay? Uh, but as my brother Keith pointed out in the debate, there's 17-some-odd translations that translate this on that day or in that, same, in that very same day. Now, the ESV says in the day, which doesn't negate that. But I believe that this would be, because we'll see why I believe this. I'm going to walk it out. But that the day that he ate of that fruit, the day that he, more plainly, the day that he disobeyed, the day that sin entered into creation, into Adam's life, into Adam's being, he, was, he died. Now, did he physically kill over? No. So to our physicalist friends, to our naturalistic, materialistic friends, They say, ah, he didn't die that day. He couldn't have died that day because the only thing that life is is if your heart's beating and your mind's working. Life is just just a a process of the brain, and if you're computing information, then you're still alive. So it couldn't have meant that he died on that day. He lived another, what was it, 930-some-odd years, 918, something like that, over 900 years. He continued to live. I would suggest, and we'll see it in the text here, I believe, that he continued in a type of life. Go back to what I told you earlier. He continued, in my opinion, in an ontological connection with God. God continued to sustain his physical existence. He did continue. But what happened? What was the result? And let's ask this question of the text of Scripture. God said... That on the day you eat of the fruit, you surely will die. And the physicalist says, well, he didn't die. And we say, yeah, he did die. They say, well, he didn't die. He's alive. We say, yeah, he did die. (laughs) But then let's ask the text. Okay. He said he was going to die that day. Did anything happen that day that we could understand as... As dying? Did did, did God, did he misspeak? Could God not have said that it's going to become really hard for you, but in 913, 18, 34, whatever years, you're going to die? Why did he say in that day? Many translations on that same very day. Well, I believe context tells us. Turn over with me just a little bit further in chapter 3. Verses 23 and 24. Now all of chapter 3 describes the fall and the curses that came. There was something that happened on that very day. Wasn't there? Those of you who are familiar with the text, you know something happened on that day that they sinned against God. It wasn't just easy peasy lemon squeezy. Something happened on that very same day. What was it? I'm not going to read it all. But we see a few things. Adam sinned against God, and his penalty was death. The death he suffered was conscious, relational separation from God in struggle and turmoil and strife. His physical animation in life remained, yet it remained in a ruined and desperate state of contention and would finally cease to exist even on the earth. What happened that day? What happened that day? Well, look at the text. I'm just going to kind of skim through here because it's a long chapter and i gotta, I got to move. But watch. what, Verse 14. Uh, let's go, let's, let's go uh, verse 16. Because the serpent, we're not talking about him right now. He got it too. But let's look at a woman. To the woman he said... Since she was the first to sin, you know, he talked to her first. What? I, this is the text. He <laughs> says, I will surely multiply your pain in childbirth. Now you know you're dead. Do you know that if you had to died in that day, that you'd just be popping out babies left and right, be like, woohoo! And it would have never even hurt. Did you know? Have you ever thought about that? There wouldn't be a need for a hospital. One, there would be no sickness. But you would still have babies, seemingly. You'd just be like, man, it would just so like having babies is fun on the front end, but not so much on the back end, ladies, right? Right? It's hard. Having babies is hard. It's like the worst thing for the human being, you know, to have a baby. That's what I'm told. It's the most painful thing. Except some people say that uh, kidney stones for a man is like childbirth for a woman. Is that right? Now, I, y- y'all men don't know what it's like to have a baby. Is there a woman in the room who's had, a, who had, who's had a child and a bad kidney stone? Can you, can, yeah? Is it as bad? Oh, okay. Maybe it is. Anyway, oh, we're off topic. Anyway, that childbearing, this pain, it would be hard. That's part of the, part of the death. Uh, in your pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire will be contrary to your husband. Uh, but he shall rule over you. So it's it, it's upside down roles. It's upside. It's backwards relationships. Chaos. Well, I ain't got time to go into all this. But one day it will do you really well to go and watch how in the creation narrative God takes great detail in in creating everything alive, in weaving uh, weaving organization into the chaos. That's part of the creative narrative. Is that. God is, is making these things out of nothing and it's just like blah, 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 you know and then he comes back and he starts to order it. It's that theory of shalom. You know that I told you shalom means peace in the Bible, but it also means this harmonious operation of the creation, right? It's it's wonderful. Well That's life. That was when everything was created in life. It's perfect harmony, weaving through no pain, no death, no tears, no sorrow. You know, your your wife is not nagging you all the time, right? Your husband's not an idiot. But since the husband was an idiot, it all fell apart. He sinned. She sinned. He sinned. They both sinned. And what was the result? He says to the man, verse 17, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. (laughs) I didn't say it. That's the Bible. (laughs) Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you. So guys, if your wife commands you against Scripture, you have permission not to obey. Right? Right? Now, I don't know about when she commands you. According to Scripture, that's another question. Anyway, since you ate, since you listened to this wife of yours when she was contrary to my word, and I told you you not eat of it, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth. And you uh, shall eat uh, of the plants of the fields through work and strife. 19, by the sweat of your face you shall eat the bread till you return. So I don't need to read any more. You see there was destruction and chaos and pain and suffering and just all kinds of decay and disease and just horrid turmoil, right? On that day. Well, it goes further. Watch. Verse 24. Now, let's go back. First, let's start 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. We understand the tree of life in Revelation. Who is that? That's Jesus Christ is the, is the, the branch that shot up. He's the tree of life. Well, that's another sermon for another day. But I believe what it's saying there is, is that this this deciding factor, since he wanted to decide on his own, he became he wanted to become God. He put himself in the place of God when he decided to say, I don't care what you say, God, I'm the ruler around here. Does that make sense? So, well, so, oh, that's the Trinity. Yeah. God the Father, and we talked about this the other day when, um, when Mark was grilling me about, you know, the UCT is not in the Old Testament, you know. And, well, he was asking me if, if Adam would have understood trillions and trillions of everlasting torment forever and ever. Well, I don't know what Adam would have understood. I think that he would have had a fair understanding that when sin comes in, that you're separated from God for a really long time. Because, I mean, 900 and some odd years is a long time to be separated from God in turmoil, right? So he would have had an idea. But I have I have no problem even saying, even if annihilation seemed to be what they might have understood then, I have no problem saying it because progressive revelation. Do you think that Adam would have understood anything about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit being a, a, a triune God? Yeah, maybe it's some i don't know what he would understood but progressive revelation is how we understand and that we see that the new testament and all the rest of the old testament and the new testament helps us to understand these things so I've, i very well believe charles that when it says that and even in the beginning he said let us make man in our likeness in our image we see the the word of god the word of the father coming forth and the holy spirit hovering over the waters the trinity is all over genesis and all over the old testament in general so good question though so when Man, when man set himself up as God, we have this coming down. Listen to what it says. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim in a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. Now, some people say, why did he, why did he put the... Gate and the cherubim and the flaming sword what was it and it turns every single way you know what that meant it meant that there was no way that that man could get back to life on his own that this supernatural power would never allow him back into the embrace of God back into relational connection with God what do we call that separation On that day, life turned upside down. And on that day, he was cast out of the presence of God. And he was cut off from relationship with God. And it would be toil and just pain and sorrow. Well, as we continue on in, in reading and understanding and uh. We we start to ask the question. Okay, well, what happened on that? God said He was going to die on that day. We well, didn't lose His physical life. So did God lie? Do we need to reinterpret this entire thing? Well, no. I believe it's plain to us that on that day He did die. He lost His relational connection with God, and He died spiritually. And His body was eradicated from the Garden of Eden as well. He was kicked out of the garden. So he, he was removed from one place to another. And eventually, after 900 some odd years, his body would be removed from this earth too to somewhere else. He died that day. Well, can we justify this in the scripture? Is this, is this something that we can see? Does the soul really continue on existing? And Well, this is what I would say to kind of wrap that section up. Is that ontological connection is ne- it necessarily remained for continued existence in his in his physical body once Adam came out of the garden he had to continue to have life with an ontological connection to God because let's face it now I mean I hope you would understand I think uh Hebrews I think it is it says that he upholds all things by the word of his power but you understand that that even unbelievers have a connection to God if they didn't have a connection to God they would vanish into thin air They have an ontological connection. They have a creature-creator connection. But what they lack is a relational connection. That's how they're dead. They have no relational connection with God. They have no true life. They have no meaning. They have no purpose. They have nothing. They have hopelessness is all they have. All they have is this life. And that's why Paul says, if this life is all we have, and you don't have the resurrection of the life, then go ahead and eat, drink, and be merry, bro. Party up. Because for the unbeliever, this is all you got. After this is eternal death and damnation. Let me read this. I think this will be a good moment. I was reading this. uh, This comes from volume one of of Jonathan Edwards' works. You can get this online. It's it's free. It's really good. Jonathan Edwards is like my hero. Listen to what he says about life. He says, For I suppose it will not be denied that the life Adam had was truly a happy life. Happy and perfect innocency. In the favor of his maker, surrounded with the happy fruits and testimonies of his love. And I think it has been proved that he also was happy in a state of perfect righteousness. Nothing is more manifest than that it is agreeable to every common accept, uh, acceptance of the word life. In scripture that it be understood as uh, signifying a state of excellent and happy existence. Life is not merely continuing to exist on this big ball floating through the sky. No. Life, true life, is a oneness with the Creator that is happy and wonderful and set in joyous expectation and wonder and awe and expectation of God's goodness and His life. Now, we live in a broken world. In the Garden of Eden, that life would have been perpetually righteous and perfect continually forever. Well, Adam fell. And he brought death to our physical bodies and death spiritually. We're all born in sin. But through Christ, we our, our soul, our spirit is regenerate and we get to to enjoy that relational connection with God again and we actually come to life spiritually, soulfully, we come alive and we now know and we can be aware of what the reality is that surrounds us and that Christ is all and that we serve Him and that we love Him and that we have the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us and it makes, it, uh, makes us able to overcome sin and to overcome the world and to, to, to have joy and pain and suffering that we can't control out here. That the life in Christ is now and it is evident in those, maybe even most in those who are suffering. For though this storm comes and though the rains come and though floods rise and pound on that house, it will not fall. Because it's built on the rock of Christ Jesus. Life is now. I'm getting way ahead of myself. That's like the end of my sermon. It is 1155. (laughs) <laughs> well, I wish we could have this up there. I'll give you some text if you want to write them down. Genesis three we just looked at Ecclesiastes eleven five through twelve verse eight i, I won't i'm I'm not going to go there but but here's what one could say. the argument from the other side about um oh Ecclesiastes chapter eleven verse 5 through chapter 12 verse 8 it could be said the other side of that argument is is that so we would maintain that the separation the relational uh separation from god and the and being kicked out of the garden of eden out of the presence of god is death okay but some may say well no that's just you know that's that's just a worse life all right we would say well the Bible seems to suggest that that is death and that even, so here's where we would start to break that down, that we would say that physical life in its entirety doesn't, it doesn't do justice to the definition and understanding of life proper that, that the scriptures unfold. And here's how we see that, is that, because we know that even when the physical body dies, the soul continues to live on, Okay. So therefore, we know that the physical isn't all of life, but it's, it's part of life. And that when Adam was kicked out. Now, Ecclesiastes eleven five 5 through chapter 12, verse 8, talks about when a man dies and he goes back to the dust of the earth. Well, I'll just read that last part. I just can't go through the whole thing. So Ecclesiastes, let's just look at chapter 12. This was a text that was brought up, and, and I defended a little bit against some other guys that I was reading with. But, it, but Ecclesiastes 12, verse uh, let's see. verse eight. let's see six, eight, eight. Verse seven is the verse. Let's, look at, let's start in verse six. "Before the silver cord snapped or the gold bowl is broken, Or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern. And the dust returns to the earth as it was, talking about the man, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. You see how the the physical life and existence is eradicated, it's dust, okay? The body does die, we we don't disagree with that, but that the spirit continues on. That the spirit goes back to God, okay? Now, one may say, well, that just means that the life that's animating the body goes back to God. But the problem with that is, is that if you look back over, and that's why I said Ecclesiastes 11.5 through 12.8. And I'm not going to go through it. But it just says that there's judgment that, that takes place. That individual soul, that individual spirit that was given to that man, that woman, goes back to God for a reason, and it continues to exist in its personhood so that that individual personhood can answer for what that person did while they were on earth. You understand? The individual is continuing on. The soul throughout the scripture is necessarily immortal because it was made in the image of God, and as we said, in the image of Christ, who what? Had a beginning but has no end. Even in Christ's humanity, he never had an end. Though he died, he did not cease to exist, nor could he have. Hebrews 7 says, he lives always to make intercession for them, the saints. Therefore, Christ in his human nature had a body that had a beginning and it died. He had a soul that lived on forever and was immortal even when his body died. And he was in the grave for the three days. Does that make sense? Okay. So I'm, I'm almost done. If somebody, if y'all want to come start playing some music, that's fine, whatever. Write those down, Ecclesiastes eleven five 5 through 12, 8. Um, all that you have apart, I see nobody's coming, so I guess you don't think I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. Y'all stay back there. I'll keep preaching. Uh Anybody wants a copy of this, you can let me know. Okay, here's, here's uh, where we finish. Now, we've talked about Christ. I've already, I've already given the gospel a few times. Here's what I want you to know, practically speaking. Many of you in here today may be unbelievers, or you may be professing believers who have never tapped into life now. You may be professing believers that you thought you had bought into this proleptic line of, you know, oh, well, yeah, I'm saved. And this is much of American Christianity, maybe much of, you know, Christianity, period. But this idea that, well, I believe in Jesus, and I'm saved, but I'm still miserable here. And one day out there, I'll get to experience life. That is a proleptic, physicalist view of life. That is a proleptic, physicalist, materialistic, naturalistic view of of the atoning work of the King of Kings. I don't know how else to say this. The atoning work that Christ did on the cross. And when I say atoning. I mean the, the atonement. The atonement. The work that Christ did to join you to the Godhead relationally. So that you could get back to the Garden of Eden status. And live in perfect Righteousness. Harmony, joy, bliss, and wonder has, if you've believed in Christ, the atonement has already been presently applied to you in the reality in which you sit right now. You don't have to believe me. Consider the text. Acts seventeen twenty six through 28. I'm just going to touch on some of these. In Him, Jesus Christ, we live and move and have our being. Matthew 4:4 Man shall not live by bread alone, the physical, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. There's more to this life than the physical. John 3:36. Listen to this, believer. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. John 5:24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Now, all those verbs mean when you believe, you come out of death and into life. Upon believing, I rebuke the man. Who tries to tell believers that you have the same life right now that unbelievers have. And that one day it will be different. Unbelievers are dead in their trespasses and sins. You, my friend, are alive in Christ. You have life now. You have power over the grave now. You have power over sin now. You have power to have joy. You have the ability to conquer death. Now, through Christ, we overcome by the one who overcame. You do not have to sit in fear, anticipating one day when you may be set free. You start living now because if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. Last one. 1 John 5, 11 through 13. This I'm going to read this whole one because I, I, you, can, you cannot escape it. 1 John. Listen to John's passion here as he speaks. His whole message is wrapped up in it. 1 John chapter 5, starting in verse 11, he says, And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Tell me again, the unbeliever and the believer have the same life. Are you kidding me? He who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son does not have life. He's dead. And if you're in here dead today, if you can hear the the words that I'm speaking to you, if you can hear the Scripture, then you know this. You don't have to stay dead. Your deadness is of of your own choosing. For our great God and Savior for the joy set before Him endured the cross despising its shame. That you might have life and it might be abundant life. Not physical existence meandering through a world of chaos and pain. But an existence that is full of life and purpose and meaning. And even when that storm comes That you can know your anchor holds. But it even goes on. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. That you may know that you have eternal life. He says, you have life, you have life, you have life. I'm writing so that you may know you have life. Is somebody going to tell you you don't got life? You believe in the Son, Jesus Christ. You have life today. Don't you live in that defeatedness anymore. Don't you live in that despair anymore. If things are hard, I get it. Don't you let it overwhelm you unto death. Don't you let it overwhelm you because Jesus Christ was overwhelmed unto death so that you might be free to live life here and now. In the Son, we have freedom. Let's all stand to our feet. If any of you are struggling today, if any of you are dead in your trespasses and sins today, if the fiery torments of hell await you separation from this great god that i speak of today don't don't sit there with the flames licking around your feet don't sit there in your sorrow and in your grief and in your pain separated relationally from the god who created you but you can have life today your sin separated you but christ has come to set you free God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Do not harden your heart as in the days of old. But if you hear his voice today, come unto him. For today is the day of salvation. Do not delay. Do not delay. Life, abundant life, is yours for the taking. If you would submit yourself to Christ and come, come to him. Do business with God, folks.